Okay, my name is Daniel Brennan, and this is my podcast. I call it Wine is Food, and I'm going to be interviewing wine growers, uh, winemakers, viticulturalists, research people, uh, kind of all the behind-the-scenes people uh, in the wine industry uh, around the world. Uh, certainly going to start in New Zealand, uh, where I live and work. And I'm starting in a very comfortable place with a good friend of mine, Chris Reed, who is a young wine grower, uh, originally from Wellington, uh, but Martinborough wine grower, I guess, is what you technically are. Chris, basically, yeah. would you agree to that, those terms? Yeah. yeah well, why don't basically. you tell us about uh, maybe, you know, where you're from. Yeah, where, where are you from? Where are you, were you born in Wellington? Yeah, I was born and raised in Wellington. Um, got into the wine industry at quite a young age. My parents bought a very small Pinot Gris block um, on the Martinborough Terrace. Uh, which had 150 vines. Um, I started out going to Martinborough because I was doing driving lessons at the time. Um, and when I'd get over to Martinborough, I would uh, work on the small vineyard. Um, and after a few few years of working on that, I actually began to really enjoy the wines from Martinborough and the uh, Wait, how old were you? Uh, <coughs> I was 15. <coughs> That's a bit young to be drinking, isn't it, Chris? Or uh, I think it's best to be a bit more liberal with uh, with drinking. I think it sorts out a few more issues with I agree. youth drinking culture. I um, agree. Well, um, I think one of, the, one of the things I should mention is I went to school with Chris uh, at a school called EIT, a fine institution in Taradale, Hawke's Bay, just outside of Napier. And uh, there were other kids. Uh, I was obviously a little older. I was about 31 when I started there. And... Uh, there were some kids right out of high school, or what would you guys call that, secondary school here in New College. Zealand? College. That's r- even more confusing to our international <laughs> listeners. Um, and I really thought, uh, you know, Chris was certainly different than most of the other ones because he had, I, I just find it really tough for kids to come out of high school or college, as you put it, and go into a wine degree without actually really ever drinking wine. I mean, I know what I was doing in high school was, uh, you know, drinking cheap beer and uh, maybe sneaking some booze from some liquor cabinet or something like that. And and you actually had some wine knowledge and industry knowledge, and that was unique. I mean, I think there was some other students who were, uh, you know, keen to catch up, but it it seemed like you had a pretty good foundation, and I guess that comes from your parents feeding you booze, which is good on them, you know? (laughs) Um, But sorry, yeah, so you were, uh, you know, fooling around and, and... found uh you know that you you took yeah, on to the I vineyard took to you pretty well yeah i started enjoying that um i made uh, a little bit of wine from those grapes um probably more borderline vinegar um but afterwards they sold that block um and in a way upgraded to a, a small block but larger than the last one with uh, 100 pinot noir vines um so i started managing that in 2007 um started out straight away as an organic vineyard um, and yeah ever since then i've been uh, managing that and making wine from from that block okay we'll talk about organic and uh even biodynamic a little bit in a bit but i kind of want to stick with martin bro right now <coughs> because you guys still have that uh that same block and you've been uh, messing around there but why don't you just describe um and and actually, it's f- even for me, what do, what do you think 
uh, there's what two or three regions of Martinboro because I always hear about Tamuna Road and, and and the terraces, but there's one more too. A guy in the wine center one time said there was three, maybe another valley or something. But you really only consider two. Yeah, generally there's two. Um, description for people who don't know Martinborough. Martinborough is uh, an hour from Wellington. Um, it's a very small wine region. I think it's probably about two percent of New Zealand's production. Um, but actually has the highest uh, wine score rating in the whole of New Zealand. Um, all producers there are generally very small family-owned vineyards. Um, and there's the original terrace, um, which is an alluvial river uh, terrace. Um, so very free-draining, um, low-vigor soils. Um, later on, probably about 15 years ago, um, there's been a new planting area called Tamuna, which is um, just outside the normal Martinborough Terrace area. Uh, and then there's another area which is further out from the main Martinborough Township. Uh, I guess you'd probably call Blue Rock or... Yeah, I don't know really what they're calling that yet. Um, but generally I think they're a bit more calcious soils. Um, and I haven't had much experience with, with the grapes from there, but... Um, it looks like there's a few more plantings of a bit more interesting wines coming along there. So, yeah, slowly cool. growing, but yep. Martinborough will always stay small. So the producers on the terraces uh, are the more uh, maybe traditional. You see your Martinborough Vineyard, Dry River, Palliser, Atarangi, Atarangi of course, uh, which you worked at for how many years? Two years? Uh, three years on and off. Three years on and off. One full-on harvest with them and kind of letting you fool around in the vineyard with them a bit and yeah i started out uh just working on the vineyard there um and so i surely did a bit more work in the winery um so they've helped me out a lot with uh, learning the whole trade of winemaking clive who's the founder is sort of this uh new zealand legend i don't know i, I <coughs> i've met him a few times and uh he, he definitely has a real sort of, um, I mean, he's certainly a humble guy, and he comes off as a really nice man, but I, I don't know, getting to talk to him, you see there's a real depth of knowledge and history there and appreciation for sort of his role. Uh, and he's not really involved in the winemaking much anymore, is he? But he's just sort of... he uh, He's involved in all aspects, but generally he's now part of his, his conservation groups with uh, growing native trees and, and stuff and helping around the vineyard and more the environmental impact he's involved in. Yeah, he's a real interesting guy. I'd love to, maybe if this uh, whole podcast takes off someday, interview a guy like that, you know, graduate from guys like Chris Reed. I mean, geez, you know. <laughs> um, I'm going to do my best not to just trash and make fun of Chris this whole time. It's, trust me, it's really fighting back trying not to do it. Um, well, and then I'm sorry. So then there's the terraces that we talked about are the sort of traditional ones. And then, uh, some of the newer, uh, producers like Craggy Range, um, Escarpment, who else is out on Tamuna? Anybody else kind of that? No, no one really of huge notability. There's, uh, I guess there's Ulica. Ulica, yeah. They won like a big trophy or something, right? Yeah. In New Zealand. Um, but still t pretty small production uh, uh, for, for everybody, even 
you know, Craggy, who's a fairly large winery, their production of Martinboro is still pretty small, right? But yeah, I think they're about 90 hectares. So That's they've got the largest plantings in the whole of Martinboro. Mm. Um, but generally on a worldwide scale of of production, it's, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And what do you think, I mean, Martinboro is, I know when I first started looking at New Zealand wines 10 years ago, even, you know, or 8, 10 years ago, helping out at a family restaurant in Philadelphia that, you know, I would obviously find a lot of Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc and Marlboro Pinots, but I would see Martinboro Pinot a lot, and even though it was sort of on the higher end, uh, they were awesome wines, and it, was, it wasn't until I got to New Zealand that I realized how tiny of a producing area is, and it was pretty amazing to see, wow, these wines are sort of internationally known and, and not only known but distributed, and you can find them in, in some all corners of the world. And uh, uh, why do you think – I mean, obviously, okay, the wine's good, but why do you think the wines are good? And obviously it has a lot to do with the, uh, the climate, the soil. What, what is it all about Martinborough that makes them – Yeah, I'm just touched on the soils before, um, alluvial gravels, um, overlying uh, silt loam, um, being very free draining. Uh, the climate in Martinborough is varied. Um, we get a lot of wind, um, which has huge effects on cropping levels. Um, so like on a year like 2012, we've got very, very small crops. Um, is that because like... During flowering, it's windy. And yeah, it's windy, and, and you don't uh, compared to places like continental climates, you've got pretty even weather patterns. Um, in Martinborough, it can be you know anything from 100, 120 kilometer per hour gusts to yeah. a really nice hot sunny day, and even within the same day, you could have rain, wind, and sunshine. So it's it's um, yeah the way that the weather patterns work basically in New Zealand is. Um, you like you know that can change. You have to basically uh, yeah one to wear, one. wear your clothes <laughs> for for the all seasons basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then what is your so you went to did four years double degree up at uh at Eastern Institute of Technology where I went as well. Um, what places did you work up there and and uh for you know there's people listening to this who really have no idea uh they might know Martin Murrow, they might know Hawks Bay but you know they're about three hours. Of drive apart mm-hmm. w- and but obviously very different wine regions um where did you work uh in hawks bay and what did you find sort of a big difference between the two regions and mm-hmm. uh i first started out working at trinity hill um just doing uh salad or sales that was just quite a good introduction into discussing wine and thinking about wine uh, following year, I worked at uh, William Murdoch Wines, um, which is a small organic producer on the Gimlet Gravels. Uh, I also helped out at Unison Wines, um, where Daniel works, uh, helping out in the vineyard and the winery. I'm right here, Chris. You can talk to me. You know, you know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Um, so it's a very different area in terms of, of landscape, I guess, would be one of the biggest parts. Um, Hawke's Bay has a lot, a lot more uh, flat plains, um, obviously, for growing. Um, makes it a bit easier. Martinborough is a very 
small area because you don't really have much room for growth. Hawke's Bay, there's plenty of room for growth. Um, and there's more diverse soil types within Hawke's Bay, being um, you know, from, from silt loams to the rocky gravels to even uh, hillside terraces. Um, so definitely there's uh, quite large differences within wines within Hawke's Bay. Um, so I think it's quite interesting working with you know, the same variety but from different vineyards and seeing the effect that that has on wine. Um, I think it's interesting and quite exciting. Yeah, there um, I mean, and there's also a lot of larger productions in Hawke's Bay of, you know, giant Merlot blocks and, um, you know, Malbec and, Char- you know, huge Chardonnay blocks and things, like, even Sauvignon Blanc, I think, in uh, Hawke's Bay, there's some huge, huge blocks of that. So I think the industry is really different and there's probably... Um, funny enough, though, I think for every time I've been to Martinboro, there seems to be as much tourism <laughs> cutting mm. through because of this this little gem uh, that sits there. And obviously, it's uh, you know relationship and, and uh, location being close to to Wellington uh, makes for an easy little day trip if you're you know having a holiday in the city or if you're in Wellington and you just want to go up for a visit to Martinboro, take a little drive over to the Matakas where Hawks Bay is almost. It's strange. It's a little more secluded, I think, even though it's a much larger area. So, um, yeah. So, uh, but overall, uh, I think they're both tiny compared to global. Yeah. <laughs> to glo- you know, certainly coming back from uh, from California, where it's just massive, massive. And uh, so you're going to head off to uh, your or your at least potentially going to Oregon to produce some help work make some pinot there mm-hmm. um what you've had some oregon pinot and what do you expect uh, you know what, what you, you know nothing about it to say at this point or a little bit about it uh yeah very vague amount the wines i've had from oregon um when i was working at artery they, they have a quite a strong relationship with ken wright sellers um and the wines which i had from from ken wright um, were the Pinots were, were stunning um, very kind of similar structural style I think to Martinborough um, but still their own unique differences um, and I was very impressed with the wines and uh, yeah I figured that it would be a, a really nice place to yeah and you'll, you'll be kind of like it'll be kind of like being near Wellington you'll be near Portland most of the places you end up working if you end up getting near some of those so mm. be able to get a little of that great american culture as well which i'm sure you're st- you're starving for hang out with more americans um oh but getting back you said you when you started out at trinity you did uh you started in sales there and you just did a summer of uh wine sales in uh in Wellington, how did you find that? And be you know, be honest. <laughs> Let me tell because I thought I heard some mixed feelings about that. What, what do you, what did you think of that? And, and what did you learn? You know, what, what were the positives of it? You know. Yeah, positives. Um, you don't have to say the shop if you no, don't want no, to. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did some wine retail sales, um, which for me I don't particularly like people. Um, <laughs> that much um yeah so selling people wine i found kind of difficult um generally because most i was doing over the christmas time and 
Uh, for some pe- reason, some people like to be very rude. Um, and it was just, just a boring job, really. Um, it's not a standing round. And yeah, waiting for people to waiting come for in. People come in and, um, I guess uh, what I learned from it was I learned a decent amount about different regions, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, you certainly get to taste a lot of different wines. Yeah, and try a few, few good burgundies, which is always nice considering the price of them mm-hmm. um, yeah but in general i probably should have gone back to the vineyard <laughs> yeah you think uh well you know you take something from everything and um you can always go back to the vineyard you know what i mean yeah, exactly. and this year has not been there probably wasn't the best season to be might there. yeah it might be a good year to take take off from the vineyard um uh well maybe yeah maybe that's the next thing you discuss is sort of you guys had a, gr- unlike Hawks Bay, uh, you had a really nice year in 2010, right? Or 2011, I'm sorry. And uh, this year's been a bit more challenging, probably a little sim- closer to what Hawks Bay is. Actually, no, it's different still. But why don't you talk about the two two differences and what probably 2012 is going to be like compared to 2011? Yeah, 2012 was awesome. We uh, 2011? 2011, yeah, sorry. So that's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, we started off basically during winter having no frosts. Um, so that was great for bud burst, um, and also for, uh, for flowering. Um, so we had, um, very nice full clusters. Um, Marlborough would typically get wind, like I said, um, which can be a good thing because it blows out a lot of the uh, junk within the, the cluster, um, reducing the, uh, chances of disease such as botrytis, um, so that was awesome. But then all, all through the season, it was relatively warm, uh, very dry. So we had um, basically disease pressure was none. Uh, I was lucky. There was a little bit of rain during the um, during harvest, but uh, my vineyard's quite a um, an early block compared to some other producers. Um, so I picked all my grapes before any rain came in. So I had yeah perfect perfect bunches uh, made it quite easy this year's been fine um we've got very clean fruit um it's just that we haven't had any heat units so Mm. um it's been very difficult to be raisins a little bit um uneven um and the bunch sizes are, are tiny um we're probably looking at decline in probably 20 to 30 percent of crop level um which is fine in, in the sense that you'll get pretty concentrated uh wines um but at the same time you know you, it's sort of unprofitable the amount yeah that's been yeah, produced. It's a tiny amount so especially with pinot already it's a tiny amount that's yeah. going to be on there so I'm, I'm looking at less than one kg per vine and i am going to take my time now to do a little plug because this is a free podcast but uh, i will say that the wines uh, that chris has made in martinborough are going to be released under the decibel label which uh you know we're distributing now in the u.s um and chris and his family have been cool enough to to sort of work with me on that and uh we're going to release the wines under there so tiny tiny production of martinborough uh pinot noir uh We'll bring it in about 32 cases into the U.S. Uh, for 2010, and 
you know, maybe a bit more in 2011, but, you know, still tiny production. And then it sounds like it's going to be once again, really small in, uh, in 2012, but we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, also want to say, if you do want to send questions to the podcast, you send it to wineisfood at gmail.com. It's pretty easy to remember. Um, and that's my plugs for right now. I might remind people again at the end uh, what to do. Oh, at Decibel Dan on Twitter, too. So you can always send messages there and tweet. You don't tweet, do you, no, Chris? Don't you're not, you don't know what to tw- how to tweet. You're just I don't a, even hit Facebook. You're just a, a caveman. <laughs> you're just a caveman vineyard man. I like to keep it up. Yeah, I think that's probably better off for everybody, really. <laughs> um, uh, you're heading off to Nelson, which is the uh, northwest part of the South Island of New Zealand. Uh, again, a pretty small region, but makes some really cool pinots. And I think they're a little tough. And Chardonnay, I mean, they make a lot of lot of good wines. Riesling, too, right? Riesling. Yeah. Um, uh, you, I've found a few Nelson wines over in the States, but really sparse. Um, but why don't you... You know, tell us where you're working and what you expect and all that kind of stuff. Um, going to be working at a winery called Neudorf. Um, very well known for their Chardonnays. Um, basically regarded as uh, probably New Zealand's top Chardonnay producer. Um, very good Pinot Noir as well, along with all their other uh, varietals. Um, I haven't been down to Nelson for, for probably 10 years now, so... I don't actually remember too much. Yeah, you weren't you weren't an adult <laughs> when you were there. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's going to be interesting. I'll be living in a caravan um, by myself. So and sweet. That's going to be quite an experience. Sounds like you should like write a book and I'll you know write take take up pipe smoking or something yeah, something. Play my banjo. And definitely grow out your beard while you're down there again because <laughs> I was a little disappointed to see you didn't have your beard. Um, no, I'm, I'm living in the city, you know. I'm yeah, that's clean, right. Clean. You've been in Wellington, yeah, doing sales. You, yeah, you're all, yeah. you're all clean. We need you back. We need you back to caveman, vineyard man status. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> we mentioned earlier, uh, or, uh, you know, and I, I think I share pretty similar views to you on organic uh, production uh, and and probably even biodynamic. But want to first talk about. Uh, you know, what it means to be organic in New Zealand, because it's, I think it's similar in the U.S. and maybe other countries, but, uh, yeah, give us your thoughts on what you think New Zealand is sort of headed in, in, in that direction. Yeah, there seems to be far more of a push on organics. Um, don't remember the stats, but it's the increase of organic vineyards in New Zealand since, you know, 2000s has just increased hugely. Um, most vineyards that I work for are either organic or in the conversion of organic. Um, but then you get some people who, uh, who who do things organically for their own philosophy and not for marketing sense. Um, I guess there's a lot of producers who, who do it because I guess there's that whole sustainable buzz going around. Um, but then there's other producers who go, well, we're doing it because we know it's right, we want to do it this way, and... And yeah, that's great. Keep, and keeps our soils better and yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, there's you know, it's definitely going to be a lot of, hopefully, you know, thousands of people listening to this, but I'm sure a great deal of them uh, don't really know what it means to be organic. So generally, if you're an organic farmer, let alone grape grower, what, what, you know, what would, what is that classified as? Uh, 
or how do you classify it? I should say. Yeah, I guess so no, no that. use of DMIs and uh, yeah, pesticides, it's just, it's just herbicides, systemic, chemicals. Um, which I, you know, if you in a big production sense, that's fine if you want to do that. I, yeah, I'm not the type of person who, who rallies against mm-hmm. the use of of them. I choose not to use them because I don't feel they're actually that necessary. Um, in some senses, I think they're actually counterproductive to um, vineyard health. Uh, I think you can avoid the use of them by bringing in an organic program and having healthier vines and being less susceptible to a lot of diseases. Um, I don't use things like herbicide sprays because um, I think it's vital to have uh, to restore organic matter within the soil. Um, which gets things such as biologicals and um, which will help release nutrients uh, into the soil um, which are then available to the plant. Um, I don't use any botrytis controls. Um, I generally just do a decent amount of leaf removal. Um, generally Martin Brit's okay because you've got enough wind uh, to not really have that as a huge issue. Mm. Um, you know, even and then if I have to use a fertilizer spray, I'll use something like a seaweed spray or uh, something like that, which um, I guess has very little um, production um, effects. Uh, you know, a lot of other sort of chemical uh, compounds, such as uh, an organic sulfur, which come from the uh, oil industry, I guess have a quite a large effect on the environment hmm. <laughs> compared to uh, in a way, I guess, mined uh, sulfur. Mm-hmm. I guess this is one advantage of living in New Zealand, being a volcanic yeah, area. Yeah, we got lots of natural sulfur. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, to me, it, it, it's more about... Um, Making sense and, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, I don't have any huge... Yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't force organics on people i wouldn't say no you're doing it wrong they've got their own philosophy yeah I th- and i think that's what i'm talking about when i say i think we agree uh or, or at least we're in line with with that is uh i sort of have a similar view i sort of see the other side i definitely see you know uh producers who um maybe don't have the money or the or the know-how or or whatever it is to either transition or to just start doing organics and even if it means in the long run it might hurt them but it can be tough for people to switch over and it's their choice and Mm -hmm. you know yeah and i and i guess a lot of people do use it as a marketing tool and things like that um i don't have any plans right now to do it uh whether i end up putting sustainable uh the sustainable seal, New Zealand wine growers, sustainable seal or whatever on bottles of wine. I haven't really decided yet, but, um, I don't know if I kind of don't want people to buy the wine just because of that. I mean, I would hope that they think New Zealand, New Zealand, New Zealand overall. Yeah. I don't think there's a certain people that look for that, but the, the funny thing is, um, getting back to the organic thing, uh, I'm fairly certain, uh, New Zealand has come up with that, uh, in part that sustainable wine growing symbol because they weren't allab- allowed to put organic on the ba- on the bottle in, in markets like the U.S. because they use sulfur. And, I mean, I think that's a crazy thing to me as I mean, I've been using sulfur for thousands of years in winemaking. I guess maybe it has to do with the nature of the sulfur, um, but 
I haven't had too many good wines made without sulfur in my life. I mean, well, it, you it's know. pretty absurd as well, considering some new species can produce up to twenty ppm yeah. of sulfur pro- products. So. Yeah, so it's it's a strange thing in the U.S. Uh, m- much like many things on labels in the U.S. Uh, and and that's not the only market. There's some every market has their own demands and and intricacies uh-huh. intricacies or what's the word I'm gonna try to say and there are little details that make things uh, <laughs> difficult. Trying to sound smart. Eh? Yes, I know. I don't know. Backfired on me. Um, so. It's American education. Yeah, it's, it's what it is. You know, it's Catholic school, Chris. You know what I mean? Uh, you think if I went to Catholic school, I'd have good vocabulary and know how to spell. And uh, I'd say I have a very average vocabulary <laughs> and I'm a terrible speller. Uh, but I hang in there. Um so I don't know. I think that's about it. And the only other thing I had is, uh, what are your favorite wine? What, what's what's been like maybe two or three great wines you had in the last month or so that you can at least remember? Uh, besides your Pinot and my Malbec, obviously. I mean, I know those are the top top wines. But uh, is there anything you had, even if it's one bottle or something that you had, like you know, shit, that was awesome that I had a couple of weeks ago or something? You know, oh, not a couple of weeks ago, but a, week, a little while ago. I can't remember when I had it. Um, Crazy Riesling from named in Humdrick and Alza. Um, it was nineteen seventy six. It was ridiculous. And it was uh, still good. Oh, it was so, it was like was it just all oily and petroly or no? Not or? hugely. It was still very floral and pretty and uh, had a bit of that kerosene, but it was just the mouthfeel, everything was just absurd. Cool. <laughs> um uh, what else have we had? Oh, we had the Artery Craig Hall Chardonnay. Um, what is it, Craig? Craig Hall. Craig, oh, oldest, Craig Hall. Yeah, the 27-year-old vine drinking it. My type of Chardonnay, nice and um, citrusy and not overly oaked. And, yeah, it was very good. Um, and Nicholas Potel, Savini Le Bon, Prune Crew 05. That was pretty, pretty you're, good. You're busting out the big dogs now. I don't know. You, I guess living the high life in Wellington, you get to try all these yeah, nice yeah, wines, you know. Wellington. Yeah, we don't. Uh, I certainly don't see anything like this in uh, Hawks Bay. <laughs> I'm drinking like student wine there, you know. <laughs> Maybe snag a bottle of something local, but uh, oh, that's cool. I mean, I think it's uh, certainly tough in Hawks Bay to get uh, a lot of different international wines. But I mean, I I think a wine growing region should be that way almost. So support, you know. There's a lot of great wines there that you can drink, and certainly Hawks Bay is extremely versatile, so mm. you can find a lot of great wines, pretty much anything you want. Um, you got to try other people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got you got to compare, yeah, uh, but it can be tough to find. So you you know you have to go out to scenic cellars or something, uh, or you know if there's a little bit of international, um, uh, you know. Uh, Prices in New Zealand, though. Yeah, it is. That's the thing. Is it's uh, certainly don't find any California wines uh, out this way. No. Uh, but th- then again, most of those are sold domestically. It has really less to do with New Zealand than it has to do with uh, greedy Americans. Yeah, it's greedy Americans. We just drink it all ourselves, you know. Um, well, cool. I think that's about it. Um, uh, we're gonna end with a bit of music from Tommy Connors. Uh, I think every show I'm gonna have some type of independent artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end because my background has been in uh, a little bit in the music industry in my 20s and still have a lot of friends and Chris you're you know 
musician or former band dude, right? You know, or what are your guitar banjo and what was the name of your band that you used to play in? Uh, Seth and Merle. Seth and Merle, and sometimes with the acid test or something, right? Yeah. So maybe we'll get a. Uh, We'll convince uh, old Sean to give us some music sometime, uh, maybe another episode. I'd like to check back in with Chris after, uh, maybe after Nelson, uh, if we can catch up before uh, both of us head to the States. Uh, I certainly think, I hope I'm doing this this podcast enough where, um, you know, you're not like the fourth one I do and the first one I do. <laughs> It'll just be a show but I think that would be cool just to see, you know, what you thought of Nelson compared to Martinboro. And uh, I, I do think there'll be some people from the U.S. listening to this and who have no idea about, uh, certainly about Nelson, maybe hardly only a little bit of experience with Martinboro. So be interested to introduce them uh, to your experiences there and, and see what, what you thought the differences were. Uh, again, if you want to email uh, questions, we're going to be talking to a few other winemakers. Uh, so... No matter who we talk to, you know, we certainly can uh, answer questions. And if I know in advance who I'm going to be interviewing, I'll, I'll give a heads up the week before. But email questions to wineisfood at gmail.com. On Twitter, it's at DecibelDan. Um, the website is decibelwines.com or vitisdivine.com. You can go check it out there. And uh, Chris, thanks for doing this with me. And uh, I think it was a little... I was a little easier on you than I even thought I'd be. And uh, this is Tommy Connors, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Well, through the magic of podcasting, I'm actually back up in Hawks Bay now. Uh, before I uploaded this, I wanted to um, say a few more words about Tommy Connors before I played his song uh, from his album he released last year called Habitual Line Stepper. You can download that on iTunes, and uh, I'm sure you can find more info on Tom at TommyConnors.com. Tom's a real old friend. I used to manage his band Seeking Homer, and I've known him for a long time. And uh, really happy with uh, the album he came out with last year. But particularly this song, uh, Show Me the Light, really stood out to me. Uh, Something that certainly relates to uh, wine growers around the world. Uh, maybe going through some tough times. We certainly could use a little more light the past couple of years here in Hawks Bay. Um, but yeah, yeah, go check out Tom. He plays upstate New York quite a bit, sometimes down in Philadelphia and New England and places like that, based out of Syracuse, New York. And um, yeah, this is Show Me the Light. Enjoy, and I'll talk to you guys uh, in a week or so. Smiles seem to fade when I'm rolling out on the same old crusades. Where am I going? Where have I been? Sing me a sweet serenade.